Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 316, and today's guest is Clement Cazalot, CEO and co-founder of Machinery Partner. From scaling Doc Tracker to an exit to running the Boston Techstars program to his latest company since coming to Boston from France in 2011, Clem has become an anchor of the Boston tech scene as an entrepreneur, investor, and community builder. Machinery Partner is on a mission to digitize access to high-quality heavy equipment and machinery for small and medium-sized businesses. Its unique integrated model offers procurement, financing, and service that are more affordable, more efficient, and more accessible for customers, enabling them to start or scale their businesses and punch above their weight in a competitive landscape. The company just recently announced $11 million in funding. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like a discussion around the current state of the tech scene in Boston, building Doc Tracker, and how Katie Ray, who was the managing director of Techstars Boston at the time, persuaded Clem to move the company to the US, his experience running the Techstars Boston Accelerator and the most common issue he would see with entrepreneurs, his family roots in heavy equipment, and all the details on Machinery Partner in terms of how they are digitizing the heavy equipment and machinery industry, the latest on the company in terms of their new funding round and plans ahead, the importance of finding the right investors who are aligned with your business, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, are you exploring a new opportunity for the next step in your career? If the answer is yes, then the VentureFish job board is for you. It has almost 2,000 jobs across the hottest tech companies in Boston, New York, and remote anywhere. You'll find positions at all levels of experience across all job functions, including product, engineering, sales, marketing, customer success, user experience, and more. Go to VentureFizz.com jobs to start searching. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Clem. Clem, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you. Uh, actually, I'm really excited because today's an important day for Machinery Partner. You guys announced your new round of funding. So I usually don't talk to founders because we're not like the breaking tech news or a media company. But to have the opportunity to talk to you on this day that I'm sure is insanely busy, I, I feel very honored. So thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Keith. It's it's awesome. Like having the chance to tell the story, share like the impact is is awesome. And so thank you for everything you're doing uh, for our community. And if anyone's wondering why is Clem wearing this vest, we're going to get into his company and the details on that. So and even has the hard hat on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. OK, so you've been uh, deeply rooted in the Boston tech scene for a while. Yes. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun just to kind of give a, a pulse of what's the, the state of the state of the Boston tech scene. You know, you're building a company, you've raised capital. You know, we're going to talk about tech stars. You're you're running that accelerator uh, in Boston. So like, where do we stand? It's December of 2023. It's been a rough year for the tech industry as a whole. But uh, like, what's the vibe in Boston these days? Nice. And basically, thanks for acknowledging my strong Boston accent. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it's been 13 years that I've been in the Boston ecosystem that has welcomed me, like really awesome ecosystem. And, and so what's interesting is I have the chance to spend time in in New York, in like Texas a lot these days, in, in the West Coast. And, and so what I find glaringly different in the Boston scene from many others, you said like, yeah, it's a, it's been a rough year for, for tech, you know, and funding, in and, and like news of hiring, layoff, all that. The thing that is glaringly different in Boston is the 
type of companies that are impacting in the physical world, all the lab-based company, all the industrial technologies, all the uh, agricultural companies that we have in the awesome ecosystem of Greentown Labs and others, like these companies tend to be way less impacted, I feel, uh, from all the the this like overhanging like like uh like feeling of there is no capital than many others because they are investing in very different cycles anything that is tied into deep tech that is surrounded by around the mit ecosystem everything that is tied into this like all the mafia out of like the desktop metal of the world out of the 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 industrial ecosystem even like the peel pack all that like that, that that created this diaspora of people working on hard tech problems thus appealing to investors with a much longer uh with a much longer or higher zone of investment uh makes actually the box scene much more positive than many of the other scene i'm 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 looking i'm uh, i'm looking into i agree i mean i think it is a benefit at this stage of where economic conditions are in the tech industry but when times are boom, boom, it can be looked at as, as a negative. And that's a conservative approach. So the companies that exist in Boston, I always consider they've always kind of built companies on a fundamental approach of a real product, customers, value, revenue, right? Whereas a lot of companies that I think are getting some uh, some of the scars and pain of, of the current economic conditions are, we raised $100 million and we're just you know seeing this grow at all cost mentality and then these high valuations and once things change they get punished um where boston it just seems like it's always kind of like steady but conservative and that's you know again can be a, a positive in, in this type of economic conditions and the other point of you know the biotech the pharma but also the hard tech deep tech stuff it's just very just solidified and always has been in boston uh i mean there's so many companies that raise capital that are not the next you know photo sharing app it's just like making aluminum materials manufacturing more productive there's this company alloy enterprises that just raised a large amount of funding from flybridge and others and what they're doing is so hard <laughs> and i got to meet their founder it's just crazy i'm on the board of this company mining company based in uh in boston that is actually basically producing rarest metal in the us that they are the only one in the world doing that they're crushing it however it's a different type of press coverage and there is a bias like hard tech doesn't get the same love in the press that we get in like the, the main media uh b2c company all that and so you tend to have a different type of profile but 100 percent like you you're involved in the physical world right now you will get a lot of uh, of uh, of uh, momentum pushing forward. All right. Well, let's rewind the clock. Uh, as you highlighted with your accent, maybe you're not from Boston, no. So, 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 where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? I actually got a customer recently uh, from North Dakota calling me, and like, they, he's like, "Oh, I mean, you you have the strongest Boston accent I've ever heard." I'm like, "Buddy, you like you don't know what you're speaking about. This is awesome. That was the best compliment I've received in like in like 15 years uh, living in the US and, and uh, as a new American citizen." So I grew up in France, um, born and raised in the south of France, and. Uh, I grew up in a family where my parents were general contractors. My grandparents um, were in the mines. My great-grandparents were equipment dealers. So I grew up in this world where heavy equipment is deeply connected to the wealth of a local community. But like many kids, when you're like 15 years old, you're sat down and you're like, hey, do you want to run the dozer with a family or do you want to go to university and go into another path? So I I chose the latter. I had the chance to have a lot of teachers, mentors, people who, who, who gave me another perspective that wasn't necessarily part of 
of, of the family. And um, and so I, I got into tech, uh, got into tech, into cybersecurity in the early days, 15 years ago, in big data, all, all that stuff that now is the backbone of the AI economy. But I kept like, I love Boston. I, I keep being like Boston, we're in this bubble, as it's like the cost in general, we're in this bubble where everything moves fast, we embrace change, we embrace new technology, and that kept coming back to where I came from, where nothing has changed. In like 35 years, 40 years, like the way like my parents sell uh, construction programs, the way like people are buying heavy equipment, they are all the same. Like nothing has changed. Paper base, the local community, you buy what you can from your local community. Like, and, and and there was this like two worlds that weren't speaking to each other. And so I grew up in this, in this ecosystem, very entrepreneurial, but very focused on a brick and mortar, traditional blue collar world. And every time I spend time in like, even the companies we just got excited about speaking about industrial, they are, that's really new. You would speak to the tech ecosystem five years, 10 years ago, there was no capital to enable the innovation of the blue collar world, the innovation of the real world. And so, so that's where I grew up. Love my childhood was amazing. France is fantastic. Got the chance to, to come to the US to with my first uh, venture back company. So that was a, a, a nice change of scenery, but that the context is like, I come from this world of the physical world that a lot of us in urban area tend to forget is the backbone of our economy. And um, yeah, anyways, that's why I wear a high vis vest and hard hats now half of the year and I love it. So how did you get involved in the tech industry and what led you down the path of starting Doc Tracker? So, so I, Every every story starts with like I feel like with strong mentors. So actually, I like uh, st- uh like studied computer science, like traditional paths, like uh MBA, all that, like beautiful like education in France, and and then started the first company, web agency. Uh, then my parents were like, hey, you went to university to to have a real job, go work at a company. Uh, that was back in two thousand six, uh, seven, eight, nine. Like there was a crisis. Like just go work at a real company. So I go work at a real company, which was a cybersecurity company. Um, and after a year, actually, we were like, like this is not for me. So myself and another engineer, we basically left the company to create. Have you ever seen Mission Impossible? Yeah, of course. You remember at the beginning gets his mission and then it blows up after a few seconds. Mm-hmm. We were basically creating the digital version of that. Uh, we were enabling people st- sending uh, PDF Microsoft Office. We embedded actually intelligence in it, cryptography inside that to to enable remotely to control and destroy any PDF and 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 uh, documents that would send. That technology is now used by. Two thirds of the Fortune 500, most of the 100 million dollar plus transaction in the US use our technology as a way to to secure their uh, their content and the consumer people actually experience part of it or the key concepts through DocSend and that type of technology are built on the back of the concept we laid down like uh, 10 years ago now. So so I got in that world through by chance in the world of entrepreneurship, just wanted to push fun products that people liked and uh, turned out that there is a business to that. It's building startups and turned out there are people funding you that. VCs that back then, like even in France or in Europe, at least 15 years ago, there was no ecosystem for that. So so, so that's why I came to the US to, to, to grow that company. Okay. okay. So uh, was it because you were a participant in Techstars first, like your company went through the accelerator. Was that what brought you here originally? Uh, yes, actually, 2011, I meet, uh, she's amazing, Katie Ray. She, Katie Ray, she, yeah. 
she comes to Paris like in in vacation. We we got connected to ecosystem, and she's like, "Well, Clem, if you if you want to to grow a company, uh, you should come to the US uh, because you will not make it in Europe." I'm like, "Who is? Who are you to tell me that?" Turned out she was right. Uh, at least at that time she was right. Now the European ecosystem is very different. It's like, who is this American telling me what to do? And so I came in end of 2011 uh, to Boston um, to start this company, got the chance to, to to raise a bunch from like prominent VCs back then for, for that last company and uh, and sold it uh, in like, that was a four-year journey, so seven years total journey um, from inception to, to market domination. So that was fairly awesome. It was acquired by Intralinks originally, right? Like, Intralinks, which was this Boston, New York, uh, super secure Dropbox uh, for banks, uh, which had this massive R&D center in Boston, a lot of the sales force in New York. So got the chance to be acquired. And and basically, my co-founder and I ended up leading a lot of the engineering team and product uh, over there. So what did you learn through that process of you know building a company, moving to the US, going through Techstars, raising funding? you know, getting customers and then leading to an exit. Uh, it's all about the people. It's, it's funny, like reflecting now of like doing this journey of starting companies, working to change the world. And uh, for now, 15 years, it's it's just about the people. Uh, it's about surrounding yourself with people who are able to embrace problem scope and do it. Like every time I thought I was the smartest, I wasn't. Every time I thought we were like uh, right in spite of everyone. It's like, it's just about the people and staying long enough into the game to be able to have the market uh, picking up what makes your your core company the core of your company special so so that's that's uh after all this time if you had asked me like a few years ago i would have said distribution a few years prior is unique technology but like when i look back at like what the core element that it took me so long to, to get to that is about surrounding like it's all about bringing in the team not necessarily more people, to some extent less people, but the one who are going to challenge you to be better as as a, as a team because the journey is long, it's complex, and uh, and you need people who are going to be able to be your advoc- uh, your the extension of of the vision you have as a founder. All right. So, what did you do next? So, got the chance to start the tracker, sell it, um, and then uh, gave back for. Now it's, it's going to be like uh, almost 10 years that I've been giving back to the community through investment directly. And my focus is helping immigrant founder to uh, to, to to be successful in the, in the ecosystem. So I end up uh, leading Intralinks until we sold it ultimately for 800 million to uh, to, uh, to another company. Um, and, uh, and then I became angel investing and uh, uh, joining Techstars was invited to take over the torch of Techstars that had helped me successfully come uh, find my route in Boston and uh, and spend five years doing that with uh, with other generations of entrepreneurs. One of the things that I, I find fascinating about uh, the managing directors of Techstars is I always thought, and I had this conversation with Jordan Flegel, who runs the New York City program now, that um, you know there's an application and there's an application deadline. So I just assumed the managing directors just kind of like sat there and waited for the top 10, 12 companies to apply because they get thousands of applications and they weed it down to 12 or 10 or whatever it is. Uh, but that's not the case. Like, So uh, I remember talking to Katie Ray a long time ago and she had talked to me about how it is about pursuing companies. So meeting you, uh, 
in, in Paris or in France and persuading you to join. Like, so there's, it's a very uh, difficult job. It's not just to sit back and let the applications pour in type of role. Uh, it It is about, so what Techstars fundamentally is about is a mentorship driven accelerator where your role as a managing director is to surround a given, I mean, you and I met 13 years ago uh, now during Techstars where you helped me give me perspective as a found new founders on like, how do you attract talent? How do you build something around your, your, your company and create gravity around like so the brand you're creating for like, it's about. And th that is applicable to a lot of companies. But then there are things that are much more specific. If like, hey, industrial hard tech that we're speaking about. War, do you have the bench as a as a platform, as tech stars to help these specific uh, companies be surrounded by mentors? And and the, the the focus of tech stars is find the right founder mentor fit uh, of people through their experience who are going to be able to accelerate the development, the intellectual development of the company by years through just sharing their perspective. And so it's about, a lot is about working with your local community to understand what are we great at in terms of like supporting this company and then aggressively pursuing companies that you think you can have an outsized impact on. So it's, the brand helps. Yes, there is a ton of application. It's fantastic. But also within that is also knowing what community can you support and can you help. Jordan, you mentioned, is one of the best people in the world. If you're starting a, a sport-focused company, he has a platform to help you be successful. Uh, for me, that was like a company focused in deep tech and marketplaces was the core focus on what I was doing. Companies that were between uh, using the physical world to change the digital world and vice versa was the core of what we were doing. This happened that there are a lot of immigrants in it. So there is Venn diagrams of, of, of overlap and focus. But um, yeah, it's about understanding your community and how that community can change companies and as a result, working with that community to find the, the companies that you, you'll, uh, you'll focus on. So the hardest part of this job is just understanding the mentorship ecosystem you have around you in a given city, given ecosystem to, to impact the, the, the founders. I know there was a lot of companies during your tenure running the, the program, but what were some of the companies that were just good examples? Uh, one that I love a lot, like uh, Openly, for instance, in Boston, who is now like a fairly large employer, like started working with them as like they were just two people literally and and um and the PowerPoint. They were like former insurance executive and never done the startup journey looking to apply all their at scale perspective to the world of insurance to build a, a much more fair and inclusive uh insurance program enabling everyone to get the programs that that uh that sh they should have access. So that's that's a great ex uh example of of some fantastic local um executives that needed a platform to break into the startup world and understand the the one of one of it or phoenix tailings the company in the mining world that i was mentioning they were all like first-time entrepreneurs uh out of all the ecosystem out of boston metal out of the mit out of like various key players in the ecosystem that needed a, a platform to be able to to tell the story but also understand how to start a company so these are like two out of many many examples of uh of great brains coming out of the Boston ecosystem that that need a way to understand how do you go from zero to one, which what start uh, tech stars world world class at uh, by giving mentors to. Yeah, great companies. And uh, like 
openly, I just think what they're doing is so disruptive and it's a smart, like, I mean, you've got the domain experience of the founders in the insurance industry, but I love how they're going, uh, you know, they're not going uh, direct to consumer, right? They're selling through the agents, which I know agents are looking towards new offerings and programs to be able to provide, you know, policyholders. So it's a, it's a smart approach. And, and these two companies are examples of what Boston is world-class at, is using technology to change the physical world. If I look back at what Boston is great at consumer, is great at so many stuff, we, we tell our story in different ways than other cities. But if you look at the the, the core thread of most successful companies, although they are outliers, uh, but it's, it's usually around companies impacting the physical world through technology. Um, and so, so that's... Uh, when you go back to tech stars, like it's what understanding what makes your company your ecosystem unique and tap into that to provide it to customer to to companies. All right, so this might be a hard question to answer because I'm sure you saw lots of challenges that founders face. But like, what were some of the common ones that you know were just very repeatable that like could have been hiring, could have been go to market strategy. Like, what were the things that were the common threads that? You know, you are constantly trying to match up the right mentor to help overcome. And the, the there's so many. Like the, the one thing that I zero in it's back to the learning. It's all about the people. The number one mistake as an early stage founder, I see, and sometimes I, I lean into this mistake. I, I jump into this mistake is not having the hard conversations. The number one reason, when you look back, when I do the post-mortem, I have the chance to be an investor in 80 companies now, half through Techstars, half through my personal portfolio uh, of angel investment. And like the, the reason why people, unfortunately, don't make it to the scales as yet is the aspiration they would have is always co-founder conflict in some permutation. And sometimes that means like they're running out of cash or all that. But when you go back to the root is the hard discussion weren't addressed early and you misplan. Why did you misplan? Did you have that hard conversation that gets? And so it's always, always, oh, most of the time goes back to this like uh, hard conversation and this founder conflict. So the number one piece is be good at it and if you're not good at it bring moderators bring someone from the outside one of these mentors to force you to have this hard conversation amongst founder but also within your executive leadership team that is a the, the piece that like when things go bad nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news like we're all like divisionally optimist uh and so that's that's uh, when I look back of all the fantastic stories that unfortunately did not make it. Usually, that's uh, that's about it. And when I look at the outliers, it's also the same topic: is they were able to have the hard conversation very early and adjust their course of action as a result. All right, well, let's talk about what you're up to now, Machinery Partner. So, I love how you talked about your background story because then all of a sudden light bulbs are going off in my head when you're meeting with investors and they're wondering why. You know these founders why this opportunity why now why this market and when you told your background story it was like connecting all the dots for like what you're up to now so what, what is machinery partner uh so machinery partner is beyond in the uh amazon of industrial equipment where our goal is to fundamentally change how uh the operators of the physical world the people running construction the companies the people running uh, factories the people running like food packaging companies are accessing industrial equipment uh because in the physical world uh in 2023 2024 like you, you you're only as good as the industrial equipment surrounding you to, to perform your day-to-day -day action. And what happened to me is two years ago, I became a father. Um, uh, beautiful daughter. She's amazing. 
And when I looked at her, I was like, hey, uh, and I looked at Boston, I realized that she will live a very, very different life than the one I lived, a very happy life. I'm super happy about my childhood, but I realized that everything I did did not, like she had no connection to the world where she came from. And so and so the, the trigger for me three years ago is how do I help the world I come from? How do I enable creating that connection? So that's why I went on and, and started Machinery Partner to basically create a legacy and spend the next 20 years of my life in making the physical world better so that the communities relying on all these physical jobs that are like wearing high-vis vests or hard hats are, are receiving the help of the best brain of the world uh, that used to be focused on performing clicks <laughs> uh, and adding more clicks. And like my goal is to enable all the best and brightest of the world, focusing on making the physical world better because as a result, we impact the environment, we impact the economy, the livelihood of all these communities by distributing this industrial equipment. So what we do at Machinery Partner is very, very simple and yet extremely complex. We enable factories and dealers of physical equipment, the people who have this like 20 tons of steel and grease, these massive excavators, these massive conveyor lines, these massive shredders to sell in America to their ideal customers. You're manufacturing shredders, you're manufacturing conveyors in Ireland, in Korea, in Mexico, in Wisconsin, like who should be my customer? And each customer at the local market is wondering, like, what piece of heavy equipment, what piece of industrial equipment do I bring in my factory in order to be better? Because I have trouble hiring, I need to automate more, I need to have access to, I need to increase my production capacity. What do I buy? How do I finance it? How do I train these people in this new, like, robotic, complex stuff that, that's, like, nobody, like, nobody in my staff is an expert on? And so we're this online platform for them to come understand what are their options, understand how to finance them. And ultimately, when they have 20 tons of steel and grease showing up to their doorstep, we are here to help them uh, be trained and take the most out of this industrial equipment that they bought, bought from the other side of the world. And often they are the first one in their state, in their region to, to, to have access to. Interesting. So, uh, wow, I didn't know you did like the financing piece, like like you help out with that portion of, because it, it's, I mean, obviously these are massive pieces of equipment that are incredibly expensive. So the financing piece is an important part of the puzzle. Uh, it's 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 an enabler. If you look at, uh, so on average, like every transaction for us is a quarter million. Um, we have about uh, 100 factories now in the US in 35 states who rely on us to perform their core activities every, every single day. Um, and... Yeah, financing is massive. Everything we sell is the price of a home uh, in most markets. Uh, and so the beauty of the physical world is equipment and capital is about the same. Uh, that you have more more, you make profit at the end of the year, like you, you make some profit, you actually invest it in new equipment in order to be able to increase your production capacity so that you actually can bid on bigger jobs. And so there is this beautiful virtuous cycle between capital and equipment. And so that's what we're breaking down that I've had the chance at Intralinks actually to see the back end of the financial world, like most like loan collateralized, like when you have basically a, a, same as homes, you like when you have 
a thousand homes that all rolls up into a fund that is being bought by someone else, like all these like CLOs and, and complex financial structures. Same happened in the industrial world. When you sell like a thousand excavators, you have plenty of middlemen in the middle that comes, take all these loans of excavators, roll it up into an excavator fund that is basically then ultimately bought by JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, all the big players. Turned out we were doing that in some setup at Intralinks also. So I got the chance to understand the, the back office of the financing of the of the of the alternative investment world and uh yeah so that i'm bringing all this complexity of logistics procurement finance training under one roof enabling people to to buy almost with a click these quarter million dollar assets uh and and learning how to use them for the years to come now this is a you're disrupting an industry that's been doing things for like you said forever the same way so how do you get a business like this started where you know it's it's a marketplace you need to get you know the buyers trained that there's a new way of doing things and maybe it's uncomfortable at first and then obviously there's you know the the suppliers of the construction equipment or the heavy equipment so how do you start to build something that is disrupting an industry so we are not necessarily disrupting the industry but we're enabling the current participants to do more so 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 when you look at the right now just in the US it's a 280 million 80 billion a year market this new industrial equipment uh the world is already running like they don't need machinery partner for it however what they need machinery partner for is the world is becoming more and more complex in 2023 2024 you see the you saw the rise of of regulation now a lot of heavy equipment is becoming electrical you have new technologies that are coming in you have a, a new generation of mechanics coming on the market that's like like electric is very different from hydraulic and like uh think about the difference between a tesla and your traditional like uh uh, f-150 before they were actually it's very different thing so you have the same stuff that you see at the consumer level arriving in the industrial world and so what we're enabling is everyone to embrace this change and have better tools to to make their product discovered understand how to finance it but also how to operate it maintain it repair it which is a core of it because every hour an industrial uh piece of equipment is down you have one three eight ten people who are without a job because they need they need that to be always up and and knowing if you have a concrete plant that doesn't work then you have constructions across towns that cannot be made because the concrete is not as a ready mix uh plant doesn't work and so so there's a lot of critical aspect to it so the way we started to your question is focusing on the supply side is like what are these sellers who are building world-class industrial innovation and are not represented in the in in the rest of the world and turned out actually europe strong french accent strong european accent has been leading the way in terms of recycling compact low emission industrial equipment for for a few decades now the us we are getting there uh it's a byproduct and necessity of of the infrastructure bill in the production requirement we have also the change of lifestyle we have so we started focusing on the biggest one of the biggest opportunity out there which is a world of industrial recycling uh of construction material and so we picked a micro niche so small 24 billion a year uh so that's, <laughs> that's it to jump in and where everything is done pen and paper and we started becoming this online destination for people trying to understand how do i get into this ecosystem how do i get educated um and we started with uh literally 
Facebook group engagement, like like at the lowest level. And now we have folks like even the government is buying from us uh, in some in some uh, in some states to to support their local economy. So so start small, like get the word out there, discuss one by one, like hey, what are your needs? What is what what are you trying to accomplish? And for us, was finding suppliers uh, of extremely high quality goods that wanted to transact in the US, and we walk back from these industrial brands that we help scale. So. So what we do is fairly simple. We move equipment for industrial equipment for for industrial brands. The how to do it is extremely complex. Think about um, what Wayfair did twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. What uh, Carvana did ten years ago. Like we're just at the start of of that journey uh, for the industrial equipment world. Got it. No, that's a good comparison with the Carvana and Wayfarers of the world. All right. So as I highlighted at the beginning of our conversation. So there's exciting news that was announced today about a uh, new new round of funding. So talk about that. So so we've raised to date like uh, 15.5 million. So we've raised uh, uh, a seed round uh, two years ago and got the chance now to announce actually it's been, we've been working with them for a long time. Glad to finally be public on that is um, we raised an $8 million Series A and had the chance to find with PacWest, uh, Pacific Western Bank, a financial partner who is providing us a $3 million revolver that we can actually tap into as many times as, as needed. Uh, so so we raised an additional $11 million to to grow this company. Uh, and what that enables us is actually to keep growing. Like The goal is over the next 18 months to cover every single state in the U.S., uh, with custom with uh, with plants that are active, and what that enables us also is to invest heavily on our uh, industrial brands and enabling them to give them the tools to be present in the U.S. market uh, or U.S. brands that are like right now we have suppliers in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania that are that are doing some of the best industrial world work in the world in conveyors in hyper specialized like forestry equipment we enable them actually to spread the world across the states to to be known uh as uh, fantastic uh suppliers that they are like it's a world of pen and paper like the world the way you buy equipment up until now is literally you receive a catalog actually i should get one after to show you like you receive catalogs with plenty of pictures and you're supposed to to, to zoom out to be like hey these are the innovations um so so that's that's a crazy part of it very very crazy um all right so what's the the state of the state in terms of the you know current size of the team plans ahead in terms of hiring and and what's it like to work there you talk about you know every company it's about the people so what's the culture like uh so so we're a team of 30 people now and what's interesting it's everyone is coming with different background like every person in in the uh, in the team is has previous experience. So our CTO used to lead uh, Andela, Sonian was at, uh, used to lead PTC and like was in like leadership on the product side for uh, for so long there. The person who st- was one of the founding members of the sales team at Cargurus is part of the team uh, and bringing a lot of that expertise here. Uh, and by the way, just a sign up. Uh, so I'm curious. Uh, so that's that's how you buy industrial equipment in 2020. Wow, so that re- is insane. You receive something. Let me remove the blur. Uh, so for everyone just listening, like you, you basically are receiving these catalogs of like about of about 140 pages every week on which you have like basically what you're allowed to buy in in your region. And so you have like all these pictures saying like, hey, this is the new stuff you want to buy. And buried amongst that is like this new 
industrial, like uh, all my friends at uh, Northwest Equipment. So, so, so they are like all these grid machines. They are like three quarter of a million each of them. So, so and that's how you get <laughs> the word. One little image. <laughs> exactly, and and this specific one is actually one of the latest innovation in wood chipping in the world. Like you wouldn't know that unless you're deep into the industry, uh, and so. So it's really complex even as a buyer to know what you're allowed to buy. That, that's literally the extent of like, that is innovation. And the innovation is different colors. You have the green stuff and the red stuff. I promise you, this is a state of the innovation. And uh, and so that's that's what we're fundamentally changing. Uh, just like an innovation for us that we're bringing is we just basically share the price and have like a bunch of your stuff that's machine. <laughs> uh, that's like the, the, the beauty of, of that world is so many of us didn't like like the, the the innovation of just finding stuff online the price comparison all that doesn't even exist in the industrial world so that that's what we are we're changing um uh so to to share like uh oh and by the way that's about 300 million dollar worth of inventory so if you were to sell everything inside that's about 300 million uh <laughs> that is sold on pen and paper and that's like yeah that's like two months of sales uh unbelievable uh, equipment stuff um so the team is 30 people we're former amazon people we have former uh car groups people former ptc people uh former intralinks folks who actually followed me in the journey and are now like starting new companies together and it's been uh really really humbling to be surrounded by by experts in, in their respective fields all right. As far as um, the plans for for growth and hiring, like, are you hiring across all functional areas, or is it mainly like sales or go to market? Uh, so yes, yeah, so the beauty of like uh, more more fundra- more fundraising means the ability to 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 keep investing on the team. So so we have a heavy focus on the sales side. We have the chance to have a model that works right now, and where we know how to enable people to be very very successful. So sales is a massive fo- focus for us. Uh, looking at both like people from um from the industry, like traditional people who understand what are these machines, these these paper based magazine but also people like were right now with the chance of a lot of uh, start of a car gross mafia inside the company uh but people who've been involved in in this like uh, uh tech enabled uh sales to the to usually the traditional world has been f- uh, massive for us so and go to market demand generation it keeps being a, a massive focus we have the chance to have a very robust engineering team in brazil uh also the engineering leadership is based in boston uh and so we're adding also that we're we ultimately machinery partner right now through all the transaction we're building a digital twin uh and a digital version of every piece of equipment that is being sold seeing that every single piece of equipment is north of ten thousand different small parts uh and so each of these parts is cataloged tracked uh in order to enable to more the ai agents parsing that understanding what's happening so so yeah, hiring a cross function to be embarked in this fantastic journey of uh, of uh, heavy equipment. Very very cool. All right, so the fundraising climate is obviously challenging. Yet companies with a opportunity with a large market growth, there's still you know capital to be raised. There's dry powder out there that's on the sidelines. So yeah. what advice would you have to founders that are going through this 
fundraising climate and it's obviously, you know, a longer cycle and more scrutiny. And so what advice would you have on fundraising? The more humbling and the biggest learning for us to raise this Series A is something that I had never intellectualized before because that was in times of affluence. There is a real investor company fit. And uh, who you speak with is more important than ever. So we're an industrial company. We're a B2B marketplace industrial company enabled by a ton of SaaS and fintech. There is probably in the US only 50 people who have a real like 50 funds that have a, with partners who have legitimate experience in that world. People who've helped scale Carvana, CoreGurus, ACV Auction, Backlot Cars. Like for us, actually, it's very adjacent to the car industry. So our investor and market fit ended up being people that were extremely successful in the transition of over the 15 years ago of the car industry from, digi- from paper-based to online. Uh, this work, spending an obscene amount of time of understanding which fund will welcome you in their portfolio construction is critical. Uh, it's in time of affluence in 2020, 2021, early 2022, it was so much money that actually everyone was broadly investing in everything. Uh, right now in time of like some construction, it's about finding this partner market fit. So, so the number one advice is there is no... There is no shortcut you need to spend north of a week uh, just building your list, working with mentors, being like going through from the, there is a 1,500 funds that are somehow active right now at a series level in the US, like find the, the 50 that truly matters. And they sometimes, not are the obvious names. Yes, Andreessen has invested. Yes, Sequoia has invested in adjust and stuff. But the reality is which partner had worked on it. And when you lose that level, you find out that actually the partners who did the deal that are adjacent, they might have left and started their own fund over the past two, three years. And like we, we got like extremely successful working with with the partner, it's about the partner, not the fund anymore, and partners who understand truly what you're doing. So, so my, that's my number one advice is invest the time to understand your investor company fit. Where do you fit in the portfolio construction? Uh, and what are the, as a result, what actually is the LPs of the given fund buying when they buy uh, a piece of your company? Smart, smart, smart advice. Yeah, it's because you can spend hours and hours and w- days and weeks meeting with a bunch of VCs that it's just not a fit. <laughs> like, and it's, not, it's not because I don't want to. It's like, if I were to pitch you right now, like a chance now I've like investment opportunities in the industrial world. Like I have someone recently who pitched me like an oil pipeline uh, opportunity. They're like, perhaps it's an awesome investment. I just... I don't know, not not my fit. And so if as a founder, that's about the same thing. Like I use an extreme example, but if you're you're a a B2B marketplace in the industrial world and you're pitching SaaS investors, yes, you're going to get a no, not because your company is not right, but because it is not appropriate. If you're you're pitching someone who for us like never had any dirt under their fingernails, like they cannot understand what you're possibly, what you're doing. It's not that your company is bad or they're bad investors. It's just there isn't a fit. Uh, Intellectually, if you're an insurance company with strong actuarial model, if you're pitching people who are used to like, SaaS, traditional, like a uh, journal, that's a very different model. The actuarial model and the art of not losing money uh, and loss ratio, very different. The same, like it's finding this true 
partner company fit with the appropriate level of experience. People who are in love with the research they've done of that specific space. And ideal people who made a ton of money with the adjacent space that, is, that, you're, that you're working on. And you mentioned before that you started doing your own angel investment uh, activity. So what, what advice would you have for individuals that are looking to get started as a potential angel investor? Keep investing. I saw so many, see so many people like keep investing, pace yourself. This is, it takes 10 years to have like a meaningful outliers. I see so many people in middle first, like 2014, 15, 16, I invested like, like 10 companies a year uh, with my personal capital. It was amazing. But actually, I, I started being good at it. Uh, I mean, it was get some early luck, really good stuff. But like you, you end up like it takes four or five years to to see the uh, to see what's um, to understand. And it's like investing two to three companies every single year for the next ten years, committing the capital to it is how you end up becoming a reliable partner. People know that you'll invest like uh, Keith is uh, backing HR tech related companies for the past 10 years. He's been seeing them. He's like, I, like he has a thoughtful perspective on the market, but let's keep engaging him. So, so the sole advice I have is pace yourself, set a budget and keep doing it in hard time, in bad time. You have set your budget of, of 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, whatever is your budget, even like 30 grand, three checks of 10,000 or even like uh, three checks of, of 5,000. It's irrelevant because you invest your time and your money at the same time, but just keep be consistent. And through that repetition, will you create a space in the market, you will learn more and become someone world-class ultimately um, uh, over the next 10, 15 years, which is a journey of investing. So if someone really wants to get into angel investing, like there's different options. You could uh, you know, create your own uh, deal flow by getting out there and meeting with people and start to get that process going. Uh, and but then there's like angel lists with like syndicates and things like that, right? Like, do you have any like advice, like for someone that's legitimately trying to become an actual angel investor? Would it be better to go down the path of creating your own deal flow, or would the more syndicate approach be something worthwhile? Um, acknowledging some of the recent guests that you've had on the on the platform, and uh, like, but um, you're doing you're investing in alternative investment assets high risk like literally like like you your goal is to make 10,000 times your money uh, or thousand times your money not 10x like that's like that's 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 only works 10x if you if you're investing million dollar at a time like as a small angel investor like you need to aim for for the outlier and so as a result consensus investing tend to be an easy way to have no learning and lose a lot of money, at least in my experience. So I'm really, really skeptical of syndicates and any sort of angel group, not because they are bad, they serve a purpose, but you need to be very, very educated to truly partake in them. You end up investing because someone else is investing like if and the signal someone investing 50 grand like if they sold for 200 million their company like that doesn't matter is it like the signal you get of oh there is a founder of 
I don't know, the Chewy investing or whomever of like investing, like that you might take that as a signal, might be that they just follow someone else. So, so momentum driven investment tend to drive very little learning. So, as an, as an angel, so I would say like you need to create your own deal. So, you're committed. This is a side job, a lifestyle. You're going to be involved with folks like Techstars, like Mass Challenge, like Y Combinator, wherever, like be involved uh, in the community, create your own flow. And find the people you truly trust, work with, but momentum driven group investing is usually a bad thing. Uh, early on, it's good to start learning, be part of a syndicate, be part of this group, but but hold yourself, don't get too excited. Like review 30 deals before making your first investment or fall in love and make your first investment right away, but understand why you're doing it. So so for someone who is truly looking to uh truly looking to start, like go to demo days of accelerators and incubators this is the best way for you to learn when you feel ready start engaging with agile groups tbd angel in boston is fantastic like go 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 be part of it uh but reserve the right to have your own independent thinking no one makes any sort of outlier decision by following a momentum and a consensus all right so uh when you're hiring interviewing people do you have a favorite go-to interview question Yes. What is your ideal role in three to five years from now? Help me understand what you want to become. Because our role as employer is to provide you, do everything we can to provide you the single best job you'll ever have in your life. That's the goal. That's, that's the standard we pull ourselves. And if we can, that cannot match, then you'll be probably good at the role, but we'll never enable you to be fantastic at it. And so, so that's your duty as an as as an employer. People entrust you with their financial wealth, with the safety of their day to day, to understand what is what do you want to become. And truly, it's an open ended question. My business is on the personal side. You want to carve out enough to live remote, whatever it is. Tell us that, and and we've. With, because usually you hire for skills, but you part ways for behaviors uh, in most of the case. And so it's understanding the end game. Like, like cool, like, I have the chance to be a C, uh, at the setup where I'm as a founder, CEO, I, I get the chance to speak with people that have already been screened for skills. So, 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 so when I, it's like, we tend to veto people because they're probably really good at their, at their craft, but they'll never will never enable them to be truly excited by what they do. And if that's to provide a nine to five, unfortunately, the startup ecosystem tend to be the wrong platform, not on the amount of time, but like you need to have an emotional engagement in the discussion to be successful. All right. How about a favorite podcast or book recommendation for founders? Um, I think it's a duty of a founder to understand what's happening in the bigger, bigger world. So beside uh, everything you're publishing, case like I found a lot of the podcast of the of the Wall Street Journal be fantastic. I listen every single day the journal from uh, from uh, from the Wall Street Journal because it gives in ten minutes, fifteen minutes, an in depth view of a different topic. And your goal, the founder, is understand how you navigate the macroeconomics. So I think people don't spend enough, nearly enough time to understand the broader world because you can only innovate if you understand what's happening around you. All right. What else, what else do you like to do outside of your professional world? What do you like to do for fun? I'm a mess. Uh, like 
parenting fatherhood is 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 the joy of my life uh and every time i uh i get uh, a few minutes i try to kite surf boston is one of the world's best destination in the world to kite surf uh people don't know about that but like literally we walk in back bay like uh like uh in a 10 minute uber ride i can be in one of the most in one of the best beach in the world to uh is a castle island or nahant and like any river beach like some of the best places in the world to kite surf i can go and take the blue line to kite surf uh uh to river beach so just like this is one of the best sport out there and boston is is one of the best place to to enjoy it people travel the world to go to crazy place like just do it in boston it's so good well clem thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through all the great stories advice and obviously you know all the best and good luck with machinery partner to you and the team Thank you so much. We're on a journey to build the Amazon of industrial equipment and couldn't be happier to do it with this uh, team. And thank you so much for everything you're doing with Naturfeast.